Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. We got a good one coming up, Josh. We do every time, Bob. No, no. All right. They're all they're I, all good. We're I, biased. We may be biased. I proclaimed this was going to be the best ever. Uh, to you? I No, I did. You did? In the start of the episode. I yeah. was like, this is going to be our best ever. Good questions. You, so got, was, you got a little bit, you sort of got passionate in there. There's the some episode. things I care about in there. Yeah. I, th- I almost saw your eyes glistening over or something. You were almost <laughs> shedding the tears. That's pretty damn passionate. I was I was fired up. So what do we have any announcements? We do. So we have a new sponsor. Dun, 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 dun. So big thank you to planningpoker.com for signing up to be a sponsor with us. Thank you, Planning Poker. Absolutely. And one of the things that um, I, I'm a big believer, so Bob may have brainwashed me as just a wee formative manager or a wee formative you weren't agilist. We, you weren't we anything as long as I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> but enough Fair of that. Enough, um, uh, of he's got this saying of a story is nothing more than a promise for a conversation. And I've always held on to that very tight. And one of the most important conversations for me are in the refinement. And to me, there's tremendous value in sizing stories. And it's not about the size. It's about the discussion that's generated when you're trying to size something. So you have an idea that it might be a three. I think it's a five. But the thing that matters is that we talk about it. That, that, that three and that five forces us to say, well, why do you think it's a three? Why do I think it's a five? And then we can work through and you open my eyes and go, oh, daggone, Bob, you're right. I, it's way easier than I thought. It's a three. You're right. Let's go. But if you didn't have that planning, and we use planning poker here, at my company and previous companies to do that, to foster that discussion. Because to me, planning poker is about discussion and discovery, well, less people, about the points. See, a lot of people don't look at it that way. Right. And uh, they look at it as like an estimation vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it is. So it's, it's not that it's not estimation and you're providing units and people are weighing in. And that has value, that you can derive velocity from that. You have you have values from that. You have comparisons, so it's it's relative estimation. So so numbers give you a relative idea of mm-hmm. things. But to your point, Josh, and, and to my point, making it to your point, right? Uh, it's about the conversation around the numbers. Yeah, and one, one of the reasons I in, in backlog refinement, you know, I do a lot of coaching and mm-hmm. refinement. I tell people to shut up and let's just estimate. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's like they're you know you see it in their eyes. They're like, well, we have a thousand questions, and I'm like, why don't we just try? You get four questions, and then let's estimate, mm-hmm. and then let's see where the numbers fall, and then let's let the numbers drive the conversation. Right. That's one of the beautiful things about planning poker. Yes, you get values, but if you do it properly, uh, you you get this. It can drive this conversation. Absolutely, and planningpoker.com is here to help you make that happen. So yes, my team is here, all in one room. When we do refinement, we have planning poker. In person, we traditionally hold up hands, but the team is like, you know, it'd be nice to have a tool because you. what happens is you see people hold up a three and they're maybe influenced by somebody that they think knows more, so they throw those other two fingers up through a five, whereas now you can be committed and, and it's less... Um, it's more clear about what you think, and you have the opportunity to stay consistent with your answers. So well, that was one of all the always challenges of getting people to to sort of vote at the same time, right? Right. You, so you don't want people influencing. You you want to remove all of that influence. Uh, it's it's hard to do that with cards and little apps and things. So mm-hmm. so something like planning poker 
it has a side effect. One, it's wonderful for distributed teams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. But even for co-located teams, it sort of it levels the playing field. Right. Uh, and it can enforce sort of commonality, uh, like everyone votes. Mm-hmm. Right, and you can make sure that everyone takes the time to vote, and it's a thoughtful vote, and then it shows those votes all. Uh, you know, you can look at them all at the same time, and yep. then you can have that conversation. All right, so, so if that sounds good and sounds like something you want to sign up for, we have promo codes. No way. We do a discount. Discount. So we are like discounting stuff, man. People, uh, medi- you guys got to pull push people towards the Medicast because we are. You dis- can save money. You can save money. On things that matter. Exactly. Gosh. So what's the what's the code Dang and what's the discount? It is uh, Medicast, so all spelled out. You'll get 20% off. Is there a hyphen in that? Uh, no. So Just me- Medicast, yep. all eight letters. Uh, you'll get 20% off the first month of Standard or Pro Plan. So you can also go to planningpoker.com slash Medicast to get more info. So go do that. Make your life better. Drive those conversations. Use this tool to help you and your team get better. It's there. That's why the Medicast is here to help you get better. PlannyPoker.com is here to do the same. And if you, even if you don't buy what we just said, stop, shut up, right? Estimation, second priority. Conversation and collaboration, first priority. Keep that in your mind. Think about that as, as you're playing with planning poker and try to sort of push on the, the quality of those conversations. And you will, like Josh, my esteemed colleague, Very will, esteemed. will see the wisdom to that guidance over yes, time. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. So on to the episode. On to the episode. We have some questions for you all. Hopefully we have some answers as well. Oh, there's no hopefully. We do. We have. Oh. So we are not omnipotent. We don't have oh, but we're we, pretty darn close. Oh, stop it. You're getting <laughs> you're getting full of yourself, Josh. Sorry. On to the episode. All right, fine. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Oh, man. Sultry. That was, like, that was like for dramatic effect. Yeah. Bob, the Q-Meister. I just feel our listeners right now perking up like, oh. It got, I got their attention. Yeah. Did I get their attention? Yeah, I think they're ready. They're ready for the best it's episode ever. Every episode we have is the best ever, Josh. That's what I'm saying. And we're and Metacasters, we're face-to-face again. It's very exciting. Again, it is. And I get so perky, I start, Josh and I start, like, bantering. We do pre-Metacast bantering, and yeah. and the banter is good. It is good. And he records it. Yes, and, and Bob tries to maintain some level of composure. And it always fails me, so... Yeah. Which just, is the best part of the day for I, me. I just, I just get happy to see you. It's... It's like Christmas every time I come over here, Josh. And there's a big old present just sitting there with my name on it. <laughs> we should just stop. I don't, I don't, I don't follow up from that. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to yeah, start laughing. No, yeah, no, no, no. Okay, right. so we'll, we'll get on to the topic so that way our listeners who are captured by the moment, we can jump right in and get So what is our the, topic today? It is the top questions that we've received. So you speak a million places. I speak... A couple less places, but you still we get we get a lot of questions. I just don't hit a million, yeah. right? Like you do, yeah. Um, but across the board, in general, 
we get the same questions wherever we go. So we thought we'd address like sort of the top 10 questions that we hear repetitively. Mm -hmm. And I think these are over, these are not like last week. These are repetitive over the years. And Mm -hmm. at least for me, one of the trends is they never ever seem to die. Right. Right. So they, they, you know, 10 years ago I heard it and then five years ago I heard it. And then last week I heard it. So that's the sort of questions we're going to go over. So it's clear that lots of people need these answers. I, I th- and they need to listen, and I think they need to sort of internalize them. Some mm-hmm. some of these are more so, I don't know if folks are not listening to us, but they're not really, they're falling into bad, these are sort of bad patterns. Mm-hmm. So there's, I, I think associated with these is a the giant sucking sound that sort of sucks people towards the black hole of anti, you know, like agile, fr- you know, fragility and things like that. So do you want to tee, do you want to tee one up? Sure. So the number one thing I've heard the most is how do you measure developer productivity? Oh, yes. Yeah. And we have to and we can't trust those little dweebs. Right. And that's always paired with how do I know my team is doing good enough? And I get it oftentimes from executives or investors who don't who are not software people. So they've never been in the game and they spend most of their life using metrics to measure something. Right? So if you think about the world of sales, you've got your funnel and top of the funnel and how that works. And you know your percentages because you do it a bazillion times and right. away you go and you can work towards metrics. Uh, developer metrics are squishy, right? Because not everything's the same and software is just dig on hard. It's yeah. not, it's not a, it comes from the manufacturing thinking that so many of us were raised in early in our careers of so many companies have tried to wrap those same processes around. I'm going to measure the number of times you do this and that's going to tell me how good you are, whether it's good or not, because you can write a bazillion lines of code, which I'm pretty sure back in the day, Bob measured lines of code. Oh, I did measure lines of code. There was something called personal software process. Mm. Uh, If you've ever, you probably never heard Mm. of it, but it was out of Carnegie Mellon, um, Watts Humphrey created it. It was personal software process. Was a, he wrote a book about it, which was a process for the developer. So it was for you to measure yourself, so that then you could, me, you know, you could contribute your me- metrics to the team. Mm-hmm. And then you could, if if you had a team of ten or twenty PSP engineers, then they would all have their little metrics repositories. So then you could extrapolate that to measure. Oh, okay, for this team project. I have accurate individual estimates. Now I can do accurate team estimates, and they uh, they use linear. They had linear regression, you know, st- recommendations for how to do predictions and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, the sample rate for lines of code was every six minutes. So your personal log, what your personal log was on a six minute interval, is where you were keeping track. That Holy was that cow! Was, that is insane. It was freaking insane. Uh, it didn't. I was talking to someone just the other day about this, like within the last couple of weeks, uh, because it came came up out of history, and he seemed enamored with it. He was like, not in you know, he knew it was historical and it wasn't used very widely today. It it really took off in the defense sector. Mm-hmm. So like NASA, government, defense sector, places like that, it did very well because they're anal about predictions, right, mm-hmm. and estimates. Not because of a project management, just because of government contracts. I mean, project management's part of it. But no, it was it was crazy. I stopped, uh, and I was a PSP trained. I went through the. They had a certification. They had mm-hmm. like a one week class, so I ran in 
I shouldn't admit this to the Metacasters, but I ran an entire organization that reported. We to all me make mistakes, Bob. Through PSP, I mean, I I shoved them. I shoved over a hundred people uh, through PSP, and you could do it as a tester. So you could you could measure anything, right? You could measure test cases. You could measure lines of code. Uh, but I, I got away from it because it's really, it's it's like you're. L- let me come at it this way and see how you respond. I was watching this show, and this is from left field. I'm warning you, but I was watching this show about these people that they have this show on TV because uh, I have a lot of free time lately at home. Uh, and this they, this guy was building a log cu- uh, log house. Mm-hmm. So these are like billion dollar not billion yeah. million dollar homes and they go through the construction and this guy was in idaho or montana and it was like a 10 or it, he invested 10 or 20 million in this home and he he talked about like stonemasons so he had this huge fireplace mm-hmm. with stonework around it and he talked about he didn't talk about like how many hours or what was the rate he talked about it took it took professional craftsmen stonemasons like 13 of them four months to craft all the stonework in mm-hmm. the fireplace. I mean, this thing was was phenomenal. Right. And it was the centerpiece for an extremely large, like, great room mm-hmm. in, in this place. And I, I think it doesn't... If you would have measured them by the rock, if you'd have measured them by the pound, you could have measured them by the mortar mm-hmm. that they they mixed up. You could, you could have measured them by hours. Right. But they were... I don't think he cared about that. He cared about... That I he was he had a European slant, so he had actually shipped some wood from a from a, a, a house in France, and he shipped these pieces of wood for a room to here to the states, and he shipped some craftsmen from France here, nice. uh, and they put it back together. So they disassembled it there and they reassembled it here. I think if you want excellence, I don't know if I, I don't know if this analogy is working, but if you want excellence, you don't measure. The, the lines of code. Right. That's what I discovered along the way. If you measure these discrete things in a creative, right, when you're trying to activate the brain power, right, uh, the craft, mm-hmm. the, your craftsman, you don't, get the, you don't get the best results. Right. To me, it goes back to whenever I get this question, I push people towards two things. One is measure the value that's being delivered to the customer because that's really what software teams are meant to do. They are meant to ship product that makes the lives of the users better. I'm a big believer in behavioral metrics. I don't know who started it. I always go to Netflix because in Netflix, it's super simple. Everybody there tries to get users to watch more movies. So what did we do in this previous sprint or these previous end number of sprints, whatever you think is fair to measure, what do we do to increase the number of movies watched per customer? That's it. And every story, every epic, every initiative, whatever you want to call it, you should have a predefined, we think we can make this kind of difference with our customers by building this feature. And in reality, it it's less about the execution of the team at that point, but more about the thing that we're well, doing. Well, that's, that's the thing with the, the uh, fireplace. Right. It's the aesthetic it's the so what you just said was to me is an outcome metric. Mm-hmm. What is don't measure the 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 nits. Don't measure the execution dynamics. Don't measure the tactics. Measure the outcome. There's this thing. I think I'm going to get it right. That it's I think it's called the single metric that matters. If you Google it, mm-hmm. there are companies. I forget. I don't have a good example, but it's or the one metric. It's either called the single metric or the one metric that matters. Mm-hmm. But for Netflix, that would be that's a perfect example of that. 
it, that's the other thing with metrics. You measure measure the developers, measure the testers, measure, measure the managers, measure the coffee. How much coffee? Cups right. of coffee. You you get into metrics dysfunction. There's, you're measuring too many things, and like, what are you doing with it? The neat thing about an outcome driven and the one metric that matters is everyone. It's laser focused on that. Mm-hmm. That at Netflix, this we're we're all contributing. Now it's hard to pick one, and that's a good one for Netflix, right? Right. Are we are we increasing share? Mm-hmm. Right. Are people paying attention to us? Maybe there's a customer sat aspect to that as well. Maybe there's another secondary. Metric. But from my argument, if the customer satisfaction is waning, you're, then you're then declining. The, yeah, right? yeah. Then your movies or shows watched that's goes a, down. That's, so a that's perfect a leading, metric. Yeah. So, right. so it's keeping everyone's eyes on the ball, mm-hmm. and then the team is deriving those secondary metrics if they need them or not. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's but from an organizational perspective, it's that. Yeah. So 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 I do want to go back to that because organizationally there are two things that I look at and I do I do keep an eye on velocity but what I keep an eye on velocity for is that there's variance right I I, I like to see plus or minus 10% across the board so that I know the team is stretching the team is trying the team isn't afraid to try something different right a lot of times when you see teams and their velocity chart is flat that's not a healthy team, right? They, they aren't stretching. They aren't trying. They aren't challenging themselves or each other. They didn't stub their toe, right? You want a team that's trying to do something different. Otherwise, you're going to do okay. You're not going to do as good as you can, so you do want to see some, some variance. And then the, the, the other thing that I keep an eye on is how many sprints worth of work do you have refined and ready to go? Because if you don't have at least two sprints in my world, of stories refined and ready to go, you're going to get into trouble because you're not going to have enough work, right? You're just going to get to the point where the team's working faster than you can feed them. So you've got to find a way to solve those problems. So those are the two health metrics that I keep an eye on. And again, I don't, a single sprint is never a trend. So it's really, yeah. I mean, you're really looking at like multi-sprint trending. Yeah. So. So those are the things. Number one, always go back to, the value that's being delivered by the customer. And don't tell me it's hard to figure out, right? If you know your business and you understand your users, you can figure out what matters to them and then measure that and measure how your teams are affecting that behavior within your customers. Then internally, just to yourselves and with your team, share it with the team, let them know, hey, I'm looking at this. Understand the number of sprints worth of data or the number of sprints worth of stores you have refined and ready to rock and roll because otherwise that's going to be a throttle. That's I mean, I'll give a Metacasters in general. There's a general model or a general um, tool that's that's actually quite old. If you Google Goal Question Metric or GQM, uh, you'll get a, probably a Wikipedia page or something like that. And it talks about... So very often when we define metrics, and I've been part of organizations like this, people create metrics. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't talk about the goal. They talk about the metric and they make a list of metrics. Oh, this would be great to measure. This would be great to measure. Oh, we should, oh my God, this, 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 and this. We should watch it. So you see dashboards the size of Montana. Yeah. What GQM said is start with your goal. So what is your goal? And and this could drive those outcome, those single metrics that matter. Then what are the questions to support the goal? Mm -hmm. And then what are the metrics that you're going to drive that's going to answer those questions to give you data that supports the goal? Mm -hmm. 
Right. So, so instead of driving with metrics, and I see so many people that still do this. You know, if it's measurable, it'll have value. Right? Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, you know, if we can, if we can capture it from some tool, right? We'll we'll throw it somewhere up. Oh, it's free. The tool gives us this. Yeah. So we'll start paying attention, and you you create metrics dysfunction. People start gaming it, or you have so many metrics that you just turn off. So mm-hmm. you you lose sight of what what actually matters, right? That's why small a small number is much better than yeah. a large number of those things. So GQM is a good if you're doing anything, and do it with your leaders. So if you're if leaders are dropping or whoever project managers are dropping metrics on you, to do a timeout and actually go back. Well, you know why? Mm-hmm. Some people do this. The why? So what's your goal? What are you trying to do? Very often, it's an, very often it's an indefensible or sort of an artificial goal. When someone thinks, oh, you know, I'm just looking at the metric rather than the goal. Mm-hmm. It just sounded nice. So bring them back to goal orientation. The other thing I was going to say is gaming. I think when you have trivial metrics like lines of code, mm-hmm. it, there, was a, there was this guy, I, uh, Robert Austin wrote a book. I forget the name of it. It's it, it, around 87, in the late 80s. And... Uh, but it was around metrics dysfunction. And he talked about when you have these like tactical metrics, you know, bright people game them. Yeah. So, so when you're, it's another reason why if they're artificial testers, you know, there's, you know, there's jokes that developers, if you measure them on lines of code, you'll get lots and lots of lines of code. Mm-hmm. You may get very nasty architecture, right? And very, very poor designs, but you'll get lots and lots of code. Well, is that, is that what you wanted? So the metrics dysfunction is the teams are behaving. The metric is driving a behavior right. that's a dysfunctional behavior. Well, and that's when you don't have that real goal. So you just have a metric to have a metric. You have a metric to have a metric. Right. And so then people are focused on the metric versus that goal. So at Netflix, if I'm focused on number of lines of code, I'm likely not going to be building software that maximizes the number of videos watched by customers because I'm worried about that metric. So yeah. get them worried about the thing that matters right. most to your customers well, that's and, cool. and then rally people around that. Yep. Velocity, I mean, you mentioned it. Velocity is one of those metrics. I think it's a slippery slope metric because if you really are crazily measuring it, then it will affect, it can can affect the dysfunctional behavior. It can drive the team towards dysfunctional behavior to the point you're saying. So if I'm measuring velocity and, and if that's my sole metric, well, then I'm going to, I'm probably, some of the behavior might be flat, flat velocity. Mm-hmm. So the team isn't trying to, they're being disincented to, to fail. Right. Right. They're, they're, they're not being incented to fail. They're not being incented to experiment. They're not being incented to learn. They're only being incented to disengage their brains, really, right. and write code. And is that what we want? Now, that's what that metric can do, right? That's why I push back. Velocity is, a, is one of those, I'm torn. That was on my list. Uh, Yeah, so for me, velocity I use within the team, and I use it initially when communicating to the organization about, hey, look, we're we're getting better. And what I actually like to do is I like to have trend lines for points planned and points completed and see that they're trending towards each other. Um, Then after we start trending in the right direction, I don't share it with the organization anymore. In fact, I did that a couple months ago here where I said, okay, I've shown you velocity charts for like four months. We're done with that. Now we're up and running. We're a solid team. Now we're going to focus on the value we're delivering exactly. to our customers. That's the outcome, right? Right. It's, yeah. It's, so it's getting back to that Netflix-oriented right. view. Right. But it's one of those things where it's helpful at first to keep an eye on it and to understand how the team's operating. But it cannot be the thing that defines how well the team is doing because if it is, you're gonna you're gonna miss the mark and you're gonna be focused on the wrong things. 
I was I was doing I do these twice a month coaching circles, which are freebie mm-hmm. little things. Uh, it's I, I sign up like fifteen people, and we have like a it's like a lean coffee for mm-hmm. coaching topics, agile coaching topics. And yesterday, one of the questions was, uh, how do you measure the success of agile coaches? Uh, because someone was an agile coach and, mm-hmm. and their organization was trying to measure them. And uh, I tried to skew it towards uh, the teams. I'm like, you don't measure the coach. You measure the effect that the coach has on the teams. And you, right. me- and you measure the outcomes of the teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were, uh, they, they didn't disagree, but some folks were looking at uh, like, um, I don't know, uh, health checks where you measure the health of the team and then you sort of, measure the improvement or they were trying to get into discrete metrics and I, I I'm not saying it's bad like it, you could measure the health is the team sort of shoe on a shoe high rescale are they really entry-level shoe and then three months later or four sprints later are they improving you could look at trending and that wouldn't be bad as mm-hmm. a coach across if I was coaching 10 teams it would give me some sort of flashlight data around where, where should I refocus myself. Yeah, but that's no different than a coach in a sports team, right? So the, the first year, maybe they're not going to be undefeated, but are they better than they were last year? And then the next year, are they better than they were Well, so it's funny you say year. that. I brought up at the end, yeah. I, I said the sports team's analogy, and ultimately it's how the teams are doing. Right. It's not you. It's not how many times you went to the bathroom or how many game plans were good or bad mm-hmm. or anything. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's sort of, that's what I like about Agile. I think it cuts through. It's it's about the performance, uh, and now that doesn't mean you may you may it may take you time. You may have an inexperienced team, mm-hmm. just like football teams, right, yeah. and it's going to take you time right. to raise the bar for that team. But the management should know that right. they should know that you weren't given an A team; you were given a C team. Right. Any coach that gets hired for the Browns is going to have a longer leash because he's because they know he's got a mess on his hands. Exactly. And it's going to take a while to make it better. Well, and there's the acknowledgement from leadership that we created this mess for right. you. Some people are in denial. Well, right? yeah, there's that, yeah. Yeah, right. but it's like, hey, we handed, you know, we handed you a mess. We think you're the one. Now we have to give you some runway to right. do that. Right. But it was funny. It's, you know, it's like we oscillate. Now no one's comfortable with sort of soft measure met- metrics. Uh, uh, one final point. Uh, it was funny. This one guy, he brought it up once before in the coaching circle. And he brought it up again yesterday. Uh, a, an organization, he was a coach in an organization. They gave him 20 teams. Mm-hmm. And the leadership team was expecting, was expecting him to coach, actively coach 20 teams. Uh, and to his credit, it was kind of cool. He went in. He wanted to manage their expectations. Mm-hmm. So he didn't pick... He clearly, it would have been a mistake for him to try to equalize across 20. So he picked like four. And he says, I can influence my bandwidth to influence mm-hmm. his four. And in order to manage their expectations, he went into a meeting later on. He says, how many of you think I'm coaching 20 teams? And everyone's like, yeah, of course. We, we signed your contract and you're coaching 20 teams. He's like, I have a, I have a confession. I'm not, I'm not actively coaching 20 teams. Uh, my bandwidth. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Podcast etiquette. I Jeez, know. Gosh. My, I think after 125 episodes, and my, I would be better than this. And I'm not, I apologize, <laughs> Metacasters. But he's like, he's like, I haven't been able to do it. Then he put up a list of teams. He says, Can any of you guess which teams I am coaching? And they were, and, and they were like, Well, that team, that team's doing really well. Yep, I'm coaching that team. And that team's, yep, got that one as well. And those two, yep, you, you all, He's like, so you see, it's not sort of a discrete 
velocity number, mm-hmm. but he's having an influence. And he's like, and that's about all I've got. Mm-hmm. And he used that as the business case. He's like, yeah, coaching matters. And, right. you're, and you all are observing the difference, right? right. And, and it's night and day, and it's improved, hasn't it? It really has. So he created that conversation. He's like, well, imagine what if we hire some additional coaches. Right, yeah, exactly. We could increase the bandwidth. And they did. They were. He oh, was that's talking, great. He was talking about hiring just a few. But still. But that was that. Even if it's one more, that's a win. That was a win, right? And so he didn't get caught up in the... Sort of, sort of, he brought the measurement back to himself, right? Mm-hmm. He brought the measurement back to reality. So I thought I'd share that. I That's thought that good. was a cool anecdote. That's good. Uh, I have We're not going to get to 10. I, I wasn't trying to get to 10. Okay. Well, I'm just setting expectations for our listeners. Oh. so That's all. So listeners, just heads up. We're not going to get to 10 items. So here's, here's one of mine. Yeah, I hear this a lot. Um, my, teams, my teams aren't agile. How do I make my teams agile and how do I make them accountable? Because they're really not, you know, the book says, so when I bought agile, I bought self-directed, accountable teams. And that ain't what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Damn it. It's like. Who is this person in this role asking this question? Usually it's it's leaders, but it could be oh. it could be a team leader. Mm-hmm. So it's not some, it doesn't necessarily have to be a senior. It's, it's any one who's observing a team and saying, I, I got right, I got a bait and switch. You sold me agile teams and I ain't getting mm-hmm. all of the accoutrements of agile teams. So how do I make them agile? Oh, are you looking at me to answer that question? Yeah. Oh, I, well, I get that question. Because I answered my question and when I posed all right. it, but you know, apparently it's Well no, I'm not oh, oh I can I can take a stab at it. Uh, I mean I get that a lot. I, I talk to them about it's, it's like, it's not very often the ecosystem where I mm-hmm. start is it's not just about the teams. The teams are in this ecosystem. So I try to hold up a mirror and reflect it back to them. And yeah, say, especially as that leader. Yeah, well, right. not just that leader, but all of the leaders. Right. So for them to reflect on the leadership team and the yeah. leadership culture, and I flat out say, I said, I don't think teams you know, can be agile or even go agile without leadership alignment and leadership support and leadership role modeling and mm-hmm. leadership setting the culture for it. So if you, if they're lacking accountability, maybe you're setting up a, a, an environment, a culture where it's the slowest person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one wants to be accountable for anything because they always, it's never good enough or mm-hmm. it always fails or you're giving them dates and you're giving them scope. And who wants to sign up for that? Who wants right. to be accountable in those situations? So it's sort of the, 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 the reflection part. The problem is people don't necessarily want to hit. They don't like that answer, yeah. right? They want, they want the answer of how do I... And actually, they're looking for things like micromanage, like let loose the hounds. Can, you, can I micromanage an agile team? Uh, can I run them through accountability school or something like can that? Can I send them to get certified? Can I send them to get certified? Uh, and and do something like that. Can I penalize them? Uh, can I fire people? Can I move people from team to team? If I have a good one, uh, if I have a team of good ones, do I spread them across all of the other teams? So they're looking for these sort of magic pixie dust answers to mm-hmm. that. But I get I get that a lot. What it says though it, is they they lack self awareness when it comes to they they don't understand and they really struggle with the pl- the role that leadership plays in an agile ecosystem, even if it's like a team leader with a team. So it doesn't have to be huge. When I say an ecosystem, it's not 
it's, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be 100 teams. It could be just this two teams or 100 teams, but the role of leaders. Uh, the other thing is they're looking for, and I think I saw this a lot, leaders are looking for a silver bullet, hmm. right? Yeah. Like, t- tell, me, tell me how to wave a wand and, yeah. and get the accountability that I want. Well, and that's one of the questions I have is the silver bullet and the easy button, all those things, is that... Oh, that's much more modern, right? Yeah. The easy button yeah. is a much more modern reference. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's a expectation, to your point, the magic wand, the easy button, the silver bullet, whatever analogy that you want to use, that, hey, if I just do this thing, it heals all wounds. When reality, to your point, the process isn't the problem. It's the people that are the problem. It's the people leading or the people in the team or the culture that's been created by the people. The people are the problem. So you've got to fix that. And that's where a high-quality coach will make a difference because a high-quality coach will coach the people and get them to understand what it's like to work and lead or or foster an agile environment, right? So it is not safe. It's not Spotify. It's not Scrum. It's not any of that. It's it's the people and the mindset. And that's why I'm so fanatical about hiring with real intent and really understanding who those people are and what drives them. Because without that, you can pick any flavor of the month agile process you want. And it's not going to fix the problem, right? Safe does not fix a bad culture. Spotify does not right, fix right. a bad culture. Any anything out there is not going to fix that. That's that's the head of the snake that you well, have to I, cut off. Well, I would off. say the head. Of, I mean, I would. I'm agreeing with you. But it, what's funny to me is you were talking teams. I think you can hire. I'm, I'm not devaluing finding good people for high performance agile teams. Mm-hmm. But to me, the harder bit is as a coach is coaching leaders. Yeah. I mean, I'll take a team every way. From, I'll take a hard team, like an organization, a team in an organization. Oh, they're the toughest team in the world. They're, you know, they're, they, yeah. they come in armed. Yeah. That's easy. They're, they're entrenched. They're this, they're that, they're blah, blah, blah. And I would take that team and as a coach over, over leaders almost any day, right? Leaders, you think that team is tough? Mm-hmm. Uh, your leadership model is entrenched. Your ego is, is out of control. Your history, your view of right. self is out of control. Yeah, that's why my statement was people. The people are the problem. It's either yeah. the people in the teams yeah. and or the people that have shaped that culture, right? That, that's, the, that's the problem that has to be solved. And as a coach or as somebody trying to make a transformation, you have to identify the source of that problem that head of the snake that is generating the improper culture and remove it or right. fix it. That's why don't we start with fix first and then remove second. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but it's, it, yeah, it, yeah. it really is. Whatever true. the appropriate fix is, which yeah. may include removing. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, to put a, I've never been part of an agile transformation where I haven't had to let people go from an insider perspective, mm-hmm. not from an outsider perspective. Um, so, I mean, I've let people go, yeah. right? It's Let's forget the head of the snake, but it's not for everyone. Right. And if you don't take those actions as part of it, that's that has ramifications of you're removing someone who's really struggling. Right. Either they're self-selecting or you're removing them or whatnot. But you're also sending messages to the organization. That you're sending cultural messages. Mm-hmm. You're sending uh, You're sending like seriousness messages, right? We're seriously moving down this agile way. That has, to me, tremendous positive, sort of it creates positive momentum. 
It's a, it's a serious. It's not that you're trying to do that, but it but it's a it it sends ripples of seriousness uh, messaging throughout the organization that really makes a difference. I think. Yeah, the thing I always come back to when you're trying to shape culture is, in my view, culture is defined by two things. It's what you permit and what you promote. Yeah. So it's those things, and if people are not following the appropriate culture or not building the appropriate culture, are you going to permit that to continue? Because if you permit it to continue, then it's going to tell people, okay, I'm really not serious about that. I was just saying it, but it's okay. You don't have to do it. And then that infects everything else. So you have to aggressively decide what you're going to promote and what you're going to permit. And if you're not going to permit it, you have to do something about it. And the thing that I always come back to is it doesn't mean that person's a bad person. What generally happens is they were hired to work a certain way, which is different than how I was brought in to run the team. So I, I sit down and say, listen, are, are you happy with the direction we're going? Right. Because if you're not, that's okay. And I'll help you find a place where you're going to be happy because I don't want you to come into work every day and be unhappy. That's not good for anybody. So it's not, again, agile isn't a silver bullet. Agile, everybody doesn't have to be agile. Every situation doesn't have to be agile. But it's finding, if you want to be agile, finding people that also want to be agile. And if they don't, that's okay, right? Help them find a good, safe landing place where they're going to be happy, exactly. where they can thrive and grow because yeah. they're going to really get frustrated in an agile environment if that's not who they want to be, who they aspire to be, or who they think they are. Just accept it and, and, and help them. Don't build it as an adversarial thing of it's my way or the highway. It's like, okay, you don't seem happy, Bobby. You know, How do we get you happy? And are you going to be happy here because this is the expectations we have exactly. and if you're not happy cool let me get you somewhere that you're happy those are powerful we've talked about you know sort of powerful you know or crucial conversations but those are the conversations you have very often those outcomes are positive mm-hmm. you know in the end it's yeah. not rather than ignoring it or pretending it's not there right. or or not giving that person feedback and then firing them one day and surprising them etc right. but having those conversations early on and consistently those coaching conversations you that's that's sort of that's mature leadership from my group and to me that's the thing is that so many people are afraid of that but if you handle it the right way that you 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 end up with a pretty strong bond with that person there's been a lot of people that i've worked through that problem with and we've stayed relatively close because we helped each other right well and And people respond too i mean so you can't i mean i remember someone at eye contact i'm not going to name him but he he struggled from a variety of performance reasons. So, uh, and we, I coached him, and others coached him, and he responded. Mm-hmm. So it's not always the highway. Yeah, it's sometimes folks aren't used to getting that kind of feedback. That, that that's the most exciting part is when people go, "Oh, holy crap! You mean I'm not I'm not doing that? I'm sorry. Let me. Get, I'm on board. Let me fix that. Right. That's the that's the first discussion that has to happen. Is listen, we're expecting X, but you're delivering Y. Where's the where's the mismatch? And it if it goes that way, they're like, oh man, I'm sorry. Let me let me fix that. Then you're you're off to the races, and it's going to be really good. I met someone the other day that I work with at um, Channel Advisor, I think, and then at Eye Contact, and and again nameless, but. I remember the coaching conversations, and they weren't. They, there wasn't hundreds of them, um, but he, but he uh, 
we, we just had coffee. He was asking me for some coaching advice. He's in mm-hmm. a new company. And, um, and he said, you know, those coaching sessions, and he thanked me. And he's like, it not, he, he took it beyond the company. He's like, that ha-, he said, that resonated with me in my personal life. Mm-hmm. He said, you may not know it, but you affected my behavior on the job. But you also influenced my personal behavior. Right. And I changed my, he said, that was a pivot point for my life. And he said, I, re- I just want you to know that I appreciate you having right. that conversation yeah. with me. Uh, and what mattered to me was not the eye contact. I mean, at this point in my life, I don't care about the company. Mm-hmm. What I thought was kind of cool was that it, it caused reflection on his part. I mean, I'm just bumping it up a level. What really matters is not agile. It's it's our personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And that congruent behavior right. is, is what matters. How are we conducting ourselves as we walk? That sounded yeah. philosophical. But no, I get it. Some of the best outcomes and people that I respect the most have been the ones where we've had hard conversations. And I've told them things that quite oftentimes they've never heard before. Exactly. So they were, they were mismanaged. Exactly. And almost like in a criminal manner where they're just telling people they're doing good because they're because they're really good at this one thing, but they're bad at this other thing, and they just want to keep them good at that. It, so it we're is, not going to say anything bad and just hope they're happy. It is it is criminal, yeah. but th- you never get caught. Yeah. All right, uh, that's two. That's but, you, but actually, no, 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 but you hit metrics, and I had yeah. velocity, so I think yep. we... Okay, so, so we, we did, did that. A couple of mine. What's your, bullet. What's, what's your next one? about that, so this is going to be the last one. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so you go last because you always get the last word in edgewise. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of people struggle with is having a backlog that has five items that are at the top of the backlog, and they're all number one. They're all they're all number one. Saying, "Listen, we have to do all five of those things at once, and we're a three person team." You know, so. That's always, always, always the problem. And what do you tell those people? I, it's it's just tough love, right? And, and almost every place I've been where I've coached a transformation, it always starts like that. And me as the coach, I just say, no, we got to put them in ranked order and we're going to knock them out because that's the most effective way for us to work. Do you ever see those shock looks when you say that? I always oh, say yeah. that. You've yeah, heard yeah, me yeah. say that. I've said that to you. Yeah. At like dude or something yeah. like that, or the POs yeah. at dude. And people look at you like you've got three freaking heads, yeah. right? It's like like you're breaking some kind of natural law of nature, right? Yeah. It's like it's like gravity. Yeah. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> we we have to have twenty two number ones. No. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, the, yeah. And there is no magic. It's just accepting that uh, if you do and again, it always comes back to let's try it. Let's try it for a couple of months and I bet you'll see we actually get through those items faster. And the same thing applies with teams when you have teams that don't have an appropriate work in progress limit or they're not paying attention to it. Um, and they, they're they a six-person team and there's eight things in progress. Just kind of a bit of a head scratcher, like, hey, this doesn't seem right, folks. So you've got it at the backlog level and then you've got it within the team level working items through. So it's always, and it's tough because it is, with good intent, right? Like people are trying to get things out, but it's misdirected and they feel like if if there's more happening, it looks like we're doing more. But in reality, when you, what is perceived to be slow down and work on things one at a time, you actually get through them faster. And Richard um, Core at 
at my last job at the dude was always good at having games in hand and helping the teams, putting them through exercises of trying to do things in parallel versus doing them in order and seeing that stuff actually gets done faster. I wish we would do more. So I've, I've referenced this before. I think when I met a cast, there's a, there's a, um, there was a movement called shock therapy where you put teams through uh, a boot camp. Right. And so the, when you went agile, you actually, um, there was this guy, he's associated with... Uh, yeah, you're talking about this guy before. Sutherland, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you didn't give teams options. Right. And I, I wish... Uh, and, and the reason people don't do this is because it sounds uh, dogmatic it sounds very contrary but to But in reality, principles. it's just the Shuhari model. It's, it is If you Shuhari. really understand Shuhari, that's what you do with the Shuhari. It team. is that. And I wish more of us would just... Like when you were talking about whip limits, I was, I was thinking of mob programming. Mm-hmm. So take the damn whip limit down for three people or even right. six people. Take the whip limit to one right. and freaking work on it mm-hmm. and get it done. Mm-hmm. And then work on the next one and get it done. You have a whip limit of one for like two sprints. Or right. four weeks, figure that out, and so we can. So I'm not picking on Richard, but we're, we're we don't want to tell teams. So what do we do? We play Monopoly games, or we play, you know, we play penny yeah. games to try to get the team, or pizza games. I play pizza games, yeah. and we try to get the. Oh, well, maybe the team will get the idea that whip whip is something to concern with. Why don't we just say shut up? Whip is something to worry about. Yeah. I'm going to give you a one, and then two weeks from now you'll get a two. And maybe you'll get a three if you earn it the good old-fashioned way. But no one wants to say that to Agile teams. But if you if you do that, they grow. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they cut through all of the, I don't know, the learning, the early learning crap, and, early, the, and they gain confidence. And, and then they, you could sort of give them the flexibility. I wish we were more prescriptive. And I know I'm sounding like an ogre, but I wish we could start teams off the right way. And if you I, really do understand the Shuhari model, you do that. Yeah. Give them, you know, you're, you're a, tri- what is it, a driver? Like you don't, like, like your, your kids are eventually going to be doing driver's license mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. You get a training license. You don't, I don't, I hope we don't put, you know, a 16 year old boy in a semi truck. Right. Unsupervised yeah. and say, go <laughs> drive the damn thing yeah. on the highway. Yeah. Uh, with one hour, I will show you a video. And then, it, doesn't it sound like Agile? We'll show you a video. We'll give you a we'll two-hour We'll send you to Scrum Master training. We'll send you to Scrum Master training. You'll get a little certificate. And uh, and that's it. Yeah, go. Go, go drive on the go. highways. Why aren't you doing better? And why aren't you doing better? We sent you to, cert- to certification. But, What's the problem? But it's the softness. I wish we were really hard. Maybe that's an experiment to run, even as a consulting firm sometime, is, you know, as a coach. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm pointing the finger at myself. Because I, I don't go in guns right. blazing. I, I put up with the excuses, right? I tolerate, oh, we don't have a scrum master. Oh, we don't have this. Oh, we can't do this, this, and this. Oh, all right. Well, we'll just do the best. We'll take baby steps. We'll do the best that we can. Yeah. I'm, I'm rambling yeah. a little bit. No, but. well, but to me, it gets back to one of those cultural issues of um, really understanding the thing that matters is getting stuff to done. Yeah, as opposed to appearing busy, right? It's, you know, do I look like I'm busy versus am I getting things done? 
and really getting teams focused on done and having a clear definition of what done is and then maximizing the number of things that What's get the to collaboration? Yeah. One of my questions was testers and devs. Yeah, getting yeah I've got to, that too. Getting We're them have to, to actually work together. Yeah. And one of get here's a that's a way. If you have a whip limit of one, guess what, Charlie Brown? You're gonna you're gonna have to <laughs> testers and developers are gonna by default work together. Yeah. Developers might write some automation. Testers might write a script yeah. or something. They might learn. That's uh, ridiculous. I know. It's crazy talk. But yeah, but you're going to you can't go off on a tangent and work on something else right. that's comfortable for you uh, and then integrate it later. You have to work in the moment. Yeah. Uh, I wish all uh, agile teams started. I'm starting to get to think that that you know that how we start with rules, mm-hmm. it would be a really good way uh, to start teams. But yeah. Well, and in, that's the thing, you know, is I had a lot of success at at the dude, and Richard helped make that happen. And on day one at the dude, I sat down with Richard and said, "Listen, I'm going to do Scrum by the book. That's it. There was no." Questions. I didn't tell him, hey, at some point we'll start pulling the training wheels off. Yep. But Richard was on this mission of we're doing Scrum by the book, right? And we got teams up and running quickly and effectively, and we were able to, to, to scale that out. And then and then you adapted. Right. And then I started pulling things off, and Richard's like, what are you doing? You said we were doing this by the books. And I didn't tell him we're doing the Shuhari thing. I'm just yep. like, you've got one mission, Scrum by the was, books. But right. then, then they knew. Then yeah. you could actually get the teams to engage in. Right. Like discussion around what's the value of this? Exactly. Right? What's the value of a we can we skip the retro? Well, yeah. The retro is just a means to an are you continuously improving? Mm-hmm. Are you passionately improving right. our processes? Are you delivering value? Well then who do who gives a rat's patoot about whether you're having a meeting every once in a while if mm-hmm. we're continuously improving? But when you're a sh- in a shoe team, it really helps to have right. that that, yep. that ceremony. Exactly. I think we can stick a fork in we it. We can, a big giant. Does, does this carry fork. over to the next one, do you think? It's going to have to. Yeah. Right. We set the stage for 10. We got to three. Well, I don't know if there's a magic number, but no. we didn't get to. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And we, we got. We have more on our list. And we have stuff left in the bag. Yeah. All right. So, Metacasters, uh, we hope you found some value in this and, and look for part two, and we'll talk, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about more questions. So, so from beautiful downtown... Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake and bake. Take care, y'all.